0: Hi, this is Shane Gibson's Sales, Social Selling, and Influence podcast. You can find more of my podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, or directly at my podcast hosting site, ClosingBigger.net. Today, we're going to talk about B2B social selling to invisible customers. I was just going to call this the invisible customer, but I thought I want to get more specific, that I want to talk about this in the context of business to business selling so one of the things that i look at or that i often get as far as questions go from clients is i've been posting a lot of content to social channels my sales team my marketing team we've been pushing content out we've been having conversations we've been publishing white papers and you know we're not getting all that viral response that we're expecting from the marketplace that i'll put a piece of content out it'll get you know 500 1000 views I'll get one comment six likes that's it is it even worth it so one of the things to think about from a business to business perspective is number 1 you're not going to get the same type of lift that you will with a consumer brand typically with your social content so your market's just smaller it's not the world and you're not going to res- your customers are not going to respond like a bunch of potential Pepsi customers or Levi's customers or major brand to a piece of social content. It's just not going to happen. And so sometimes what happens is that we're, what is important isn't all that measurable and what is measurable isn't necessarily that important when I'm talking about social selling from a business to business perspective. So I think the first thing to realize is that we're now in a phase where there is no going back. So if someone says, is it even worth continuing with our social selling, virtual sales strategy from a business to business perspective, I mean, we're, you know, large enterprises, we're manufacturers, uh, you know, things will go back to normal eventually. The reality is they're not going to go back to normal. And so I know I've been saying this in most of my podcasts, but I've come across some recent uh, statistics done by McKinsey. And they did a survey, of course, which is a huge uh, research organization globally and consulting firm. And they went and interviewed business-to-business decision makers last quarter, and it was around remote selling from the buyer's perspective. So I kind of want to set the stage here and say, number one, I wanna, I wanna kind of paint a picture and give you some pretty strong evidence that this is the way to go. The digital and social sales channels are here to stay. So we have to think about building a digital first sales culture in our organization because it is the way forward. We haven't been interrupted. As I've said in the past, we've been redirected permanently. So here's some stats from McKinsey. Here's what they said. The tide has turned digital self-service and remote rep interactions are likely to be both dominant elements of the B2B go to market model going forward when selling to both small to medium sized enterprises and large enterprises. So this concept of self-service means leveraging platforms for your customers and potential customers to educate themselves and actually make buying decisions. You know, you might help them on the last mile of the decision, but they take most of the journey themselves through your platforms. And then they're at the right time engaged by your key account managers to push that purchase into fruition. They also said, don't count on returning to a pre COVID-19 level of in-person sales coverage as only 20, 30% of business to business buyers want to ever interact with your reps in person, even in the ideal post COVID-19 model. So 20, only 20, 30% of your customers who used to buy face to face from your sales team and meet with them in boardrooms and have your people travel and show up at their offices, only 20, 30% of them want to see your people again. They really want to act. Interact on these platforms or through virtual communications methods like a Zoom meeting or a conference. Around only 90% of business-to-business business decision makers expect the remote and digital model to stick around. Uh, expect sorry, expect 90% expect to see it stick around uh, for the long term, and three to four believe the new model is as effective or more so than before COVID-19. And this is both for existing customers and prospects. So for them to make a decision, they're saying, hey, 75% of them think that this remote digital first method of procuring goods and services is actually as good or better than buying in person. So this is your customer saying this. 90%, 97% of business-to-business buyers claim that they will make a purchase in an end-to-end digital self-serve model with the vast majority being very comfortable spending 50,000 or more online doing this. So this is a pretty big tolerance for even non-human interaction. That's a big dollar number saying, hey, you know what? End-to-end digital service model being platform-based selling, almost cutting people out altogether. Many of them are really comfortable spending up to $50,000 or more doing this as a business-to-business buyer. And then lastly, video conference connections are critical to your business to business decision maker, citing that four to five of them really prefer video conference over audio and phone from a business to business buyer perspective. So why I share these numbers, and I did stumble through them a bit here, uh, is that it's really important to note that digital first is actually, as Dennis Kovier and I say in our book, is actually customer centric. So why do this? This isn't just for us. It's actually more so for our customers who really want digital first engagement. So one of the things to think about is that, yes, cold email and LinkedIn outreach work. Okay, so this is something to think about. So how do I reach these decision makers? They're hard to reach. Right. They're now. They're now not in the physical space. Uh, They're using their cell phone instead of their office line. uh, Or they're using these digital tools uh, like a Microsoft Teams uh, meeting or Zoom call instead of the phone. So there's these new platforms to communicate with them on. And traditional methods of reaching them aren't as prevalent. So yes, a cold email works. Yes, a cold LinkedIn works. Somewhat a cold call still works. It does. But with that said... I believe that there's a ton of opportunity to layer more inbound thinking into your sales team as well and content driven interactions and thought leadership. So one of the challenges with LinkedIn and I'm on, I must be on in any given month, I'm put on 2030 new sales development reps lists where they reach out to me, they connect with me on LinkedIn kind of know what they're doing, but I still accept it. I'm optimistic. I'm thinking one of them's actually might have something to offer me. <laughs> and the minute it happens, you know, I get the templated SDR outreach, five, six direct LinkedIn messages and email. And my phone lights up without asking them to call me at a really inconvenient time, usually. And this is what they're doing. Now, on the other end, this sales development rep is churning through the numbers knowing that a small percentage, maybe 5%, maybe if they're lucky, 10%, will eventually properly enter their sales funnel and then connect with a key account manager within their company. But one of the things that I, why I have major resistance to this approach that someone's first experience with our brand is this cold outreach, out of context, unrequested, is that we're in essence alienating 90% of the people we talk to to reach the 10% which will be open to connect with us. So from a marketing perspective, we said, let's run an ad campaign. We're going to offend 90% of the people who see our ad and 10% are really going to like it. I think most marketers would lose their job if that was their approach, but somehow in sales, we're still really happy with only being efficient 10% of the time. So, like I said, I don't, I'm not against cold outreach. But I think there's a lot of work that has to be done to make it effective. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to provide some different ideas here. But I want to share really why social selling, being content and context driven, can really do a lot for us. So inbound leads, number one, tend to be further down the sales process. And you have credibility due to familiarity. So for instance, something as simple as I inbound or contextual. I like to call them context bound as well. So it's not inbound. It's not outbound. It's context bound as far as a lead. And what that means is I have a contextual connection or understanding. So I reach out to them. It feels very, very personal and in the right timing. So I'll give you an example. Maybe I post my latest podcast a few weeks ago that I posted online about 2021 sales trends. A senior executive that I was kind of in my radar, but I think I actually was connected to them. No, they're second degree connection, but I knew who they were. They commented on my LinkedIn post. They asked a question. Then I replied to that question. They want some clarification where the stats came from. I gave them the information. And then at that point, we've had an interaction. So there's some context to the relationship, the conversation. I sent him a LinkedIn connection request. And I just said, hey, Great to connect with you uh you know let's connect i've got some more information i can forward through to you in regards to those stats you're looking for and insights he said great thank you he connected i sent through the information to him again being helpful not pitchy and the next step of course a week later was a quick zoom meeting to get to know each other quick 15 minute call and now this is beginning to be a real relationship. And if he's listening to this, it's been great to connect with you. I <laughs> uh, hope you don't mind me sharing our story. But the point here is, is that's context-bound interaction versus inbound or outbound. So here's some interesting things about how we get discovered, though, by business-to-business decision makers as well. Is according This is a study also put out last quarter, so just a couple months ago, uh, by Hootsuite. And they looked at sort of the state of digital in the business-to-business space uh, globally. And here's what they found is that business-to-business decision-makers will often discover new brands through conferences and events. So 45.8% still through online conferences and events are discovering brands. So when we think about what is the benefit of participating in or hosting an online conference event or webinar, that's our answer. Uh, Network recommendations are number two. Supplier websites, industry analyst recommendations, trials, search engine optimization, and social channels such as search engines, YouTube, and social media. So search engines is 40% discover new brands that way. 37.6% discover them through YouTube, through social content, tutorials posted. And of course, 36.6%, right? So it's over 30, you know, well over a third of senior decision makers discover new brands through social channels, such as LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, you name it. So 30%, 0.7% of decision-makers go as far as to state that social media is very influential when they're researching their product or service, biz- service purchases. So it is a contributing factor. So why do I say this? It's because we, I go back to how I started that, hey, I'm producing this social content and yet I'm not getting a lot of likes and comments and, and people filling out um, you know subscription boxes so that I can get their email and pitch them. Is this really working? The reality is that senior decision makers, in many cases, are lurkers. They have been since I started in social media marketing many years ago, over a decade ago doing my podcasts, that I had tons of people who would be listening to my podcasts for three, four, five, six months as senior executives of major corporations before I ever knew they existed. Right. And so they will follow us on different platforms. They might even put us on a list on Twitter, but not follow us on Twitter. Right. They might hop back and look at our content through mutual connections on LinkedIn as it pops up their feed, but they don't reach out and connect with us. But they are consuming our content, but they're lurking. They're that invisible customers I talked about before. And so these, some of these are the most powerful types of consumers of your content, not the one that likes and comments it and tells you how awesome you are and how much they love your content. They're probably not even your customer. It's the ones that are lurking, consuming content and using it that sometimes become your best customers. And for me, absolutely. I, you know, I landed one of the biggest, the world's biggest you know, automotive manufacturers as a client uh, several years ago through a podcast and then following me on Twitter. Uh, you know I ended up in South America doing a speaking a speaking tour as a result um, of a YouTube video that I put together and I think about this is that these people weren't these people never commented on my podcast or shared it anywhere or said thank you they didn't comment on my YouTube channel uh, they didn't ask a question they didn't like it they simply reached out on their own afterwards with an inquiry and so they're further down the sales process which is some of what's, what's going to happen. So as far as social platforms go, we said, you know, a third of people discover decision makers, discover brands through social platforms. And if you're a salesperson listening to this, you are a brand. Okay, so they're discovering people will discover you the same way. We've got to start thinking that way is that YouTube leads to social platforms. So 50.9 percent of discovery uh, happens uh, through YouTube by these B2B decision makers. They use it as a brand research tool followed by Facebook at 48%, WhatsApp at 38%, Instagram at 36%, and LinkedIn at 33%. Twitter's near the bottom, uh, 29%, but still a pretty good number. A third of B2B decision makers use these platforms to research potential suppliers. Messenger, Pinterest, Snapchat, Reddit, TikTok, WeChat, etc., are much less used from a direct research and procurement perspective, but they're, you know, keep an eye on them. Uh, we could see them rise. And so, again, like I said, most senior decision makers are lurkers, but that's not a reason to not create content and put it on the web, uh, on our social channels. So some things around these decision makers I think is important is try to reduce the friction for them to to make their decision. So I don't tend to make people opt in to download my white papers or my reports or access any of my thought leadership content. A lot of people like myself are tired of having people pound their inboxes with irrelevant pitches and they're a bit more shy to share the information, uh, their personal information, yet they still want to consume the content and make a decision to do business with us. So the other example is like this McKinsey report I pulled a bunch of stats out earlier. Um, A lot of that came from a report they offered online. They didn't ask me for my, my email address. They simply published the content and they have links on that page. To reach out to that organization plus a chat bot that I can hop into if I want to and talk to them. But the key factor is, is they've ungated their content and they've doubled down on thought leadership, which I think is something we need to think about as more and more people are tired of being pitched and want to instead make a buying decision instead of being sold to. So provide multiple formats for content. So, you know, if I'm going to release a study, I'm going to have a summary. I'm going to have a white paper. I might have a quick video explainer. I might also provide a copy of the slides and, uh, you know, and from there and then maybe an audio podcast version. And depending upon the individual and decision maker and the time they haven't had their research, some are going to want to just look at our infographic. Others are going to want to read the whole study. Someone else might pop that podcast on in their car and listen to it. And so... If you want to increase your chances of success think about multiple formats for the same content within various channels so why am i back sharing podcasts so as many of you know um, i have i've been podcasting forever long before it was cool so to speak i started podcasting in 2004 I've got over 50 episodes here, uh, you know, listed on on Spotify uh, and iTunes, but I've done, uh, you know, more like 250 episodes uh, over the years. But I stopped for a while. One of the things I realized is that, you know, A, maybe I quit a bit too soon. uh, But also the trend is switched back where people, number one, and this is why things like Clubhouse are working well, audio only social networking platforms. But the downside to a Clubhouse is that the minute you schedule something, you lose 80% of your potential audience because not everybody wants to come in at that time. So what I've found is that asynchronous content, content people can consume when they want to in multiple formats is really, really vital to really not pushing content at people when you want to, but letting them consume it when they need it. And this is why I'm really doubling down again and excited about podcasting on a regular basis. So webinar recordings as well. So, you know, most webinar recordings are actually listened to after the fact. So I recently did a webinar. We had about 80 people on it, even though we had 300 people registered for it, uh, or 80 people, 80 people on it. Then all of a sudden, a week later, we had 500 total unique listeners to that podcast. Why? Or sorry, that webinar. And why that's important is it really shows that people are, some people want it live to interact with us, but others want to consume it when they need it. So align with other content providers and platforms as well. So what I'm talking about here is that if you want to reach these decision makers, look for other content providers, other thought leaders, other companies that don't compete, where you can connect together and do things that draw in these decision makers, where you're providing an online conference, for instance. You might guest speak for their conference, invite them to guest speak for yours, collaboratively organize events together, uh, write for industry and regional sites, create content for various portals that are out there that cater to these audiences. And these are some of the ways that we can be found. And this isn't just for the marketing department, but for individual sales professionals. A lot of this can be applicable. You can take part in these or even organize these regionally or vertically with the support of your organization. So I know this is a bit of a rant around reaching these decision makers and why content is so vital. But the reality is that today, There's a lot of lurkers out there that are hard to reach through cold prospecting, but are consuming great content. So and some people say, well, you know, my target market is, you know, heavy industrial. So here's a stat from thinkwithgoogle.com was put out last year. Uh, 67% of purchases for multiple industrial manufacturing and pack-and-ship industries were influenced by digital. So these business-to-business decision makers, 67% of them say their purchases were actually influenced by digital, specific, specifically content. Now, here's something also interesting. Is the leading reason business buyers have limited engagement with vendors is because marketers are sending them too much irrelevant content. And that's 34% of them said that according to co-marketing. And that's a K-O marketing thats a KO marketing a study they did. So why this is important is it goes back to context, setting them only content that's relevant to them and giving them the option on how they consume it, which is where, in my opinion, we're better to produce really great content constantly on our social channels, from podcasts, to videos, to tweets, to LinkedIn posts, to articles, to white papers, and then really getting them in front of the right people on those channels. And then when they engage, we have context-bound outreach. Meaning once I had that interaction or they've popped up in my radar, I can now reach out in the context of that interaction or their need or the conversation. And it's no longer an outbound cold prospecting. But it's also not sitting on your hands waiting for an inbound lead to someone to fill out an email form. And so it's kind of a hybrid of outbound and inbound, but it's with context. So think context bound. So cool thing. Salesforce.com, they're business to business uh, B2B e commerce platform has, of course, Salesforce Einstein, which is their artificial intelligence um, program bot uh, consciousness. That's what you can plug into your uh, e commerce site for your business to business buyers. It'll actually track their activity on your site based upon the fact that they've been logged in, see what they put into their cart, what they evaluate, what they've downloaded as far as white papers. And it can then, based upon various algorithms, push the right leads to your sales team to say, hey, this person is interested in this, this, and this. 57% of people who download this white paper are actually ready to make a decision based upon our data. You should call this guy. And so this type of artificial intelligence also exists to some degree even within HubSpot. How And it can integrate... Uh, with you know a platform like Shopify, for instance, and the HubSpot CRM to do this as well. So there's actually technology-based tools that once people hit your site and they're an existing customer where you can really have some great context-bound type of interactions. So think about context being relevant and also timing. So it's not just about the right topic, but the right timing, right? And so this is key. So let's look at some high level how-tos around a lot of this rambling here. Let's see if I can leave you with some action steps to think about as you put together your business to business social selling efforts. So number 1, just this is sort of the unofficial number 1, stop counting likes and shares and comments. Okay, so this is I know this is a hard one, but you know, it might feel good, but it doesn't necessarily mean your content is working or not working i'm looking at over the long term as i push content out there and i drive context bound interactions the results that follow up there that's what i want to look at how many of the right people have entered my sales funnel so number one know your abcs this is the first step is first you need to know your ideal client and really define them forensically within what, you know, Dennis Covey and I, uh, you know, called your micro niches. So not just a niche, but your micro niches, right? So very identifiable segments with key needs in specific regions, maybe even a specific stage of business growth in a specific industry. And I'm really looking for the 20% of the customers or prospects that would give me 80% of my results and revenues. So who are the 20%ers? Who are my, what I like to call A's or AA prospects? What do they look like? and this is usually just the company I'm focusing on and then the next level is to identify the buying influencers within each of these companies so I want to think about who typically influences the purchase or is a good entry point so the content I produce and the context I have with these people is different in marketing we call them buyer personas and so I think it's important is that what it really is is what are the attitudes values needs pains and preferences of the people in these positions And our content and context will be different for different positions. So I'm not just creating content for this type of company, but this type of person in this company. So what's the challenging goal of the CEO for a mid-sized telecommunications company in the southern U.S.? Right. So this might be so what is what is really their key challenges and goals? And what context do I present my solution in from a content perspective that would resonate with me, with them? And also, what type of content and help do they need? So this is going to drive the type of content I create for them. Sometimes it's actually educating them on an unknown need. So some of my content sometimes is to say, hey, have you thought of this? And to engage them this way and to educate them. Now, with that said, at the same company, their COO looks at the world with a different lens. So does the content I'm creating maybe speak to them a little differently? A vice president of sales for that same company would have a very different lens set of challenges and goals than of course the COO or the CEO. So they'll respond to different types of content. And if I reach out to them and establish a relationship with them, my context has to be very different. Or the CIO, right? Or a branch manager or a frontline sales executive. So what I'm getting at is depending upon what your ideal entry point is, We've got to understand how our content is going to speak to our ideal entry point or multiple entry points. Number third, think number three, think channels of influence. And so, when I talk about channels of influence, instead of thinking about platforms or tweeting, posting to Instagram, Instagram, think about channels of influence. So, not just LinkedIn, but LinkedIn groups or a channel of influence. In my opinion, is specific hashtags on LinkedIn that people are following. Or influencers. Influencers on LinkedIn are channels of influence. So for instance, you know, I look at gong.io. So gong has, you know, a great artificial intelligence-based sales platform to make organizations smarter and better at having conversations with customers and seeking opportunities. And so they've got tens of thousands of followers on LinkedIn when they post content it gets tons of engagement and all the people that are having a conversation there many of them are my ideal clients or potential alliances and so just by following that brand and getting involved in the conversation and interacting and asking questions with the other commenters is actually relationship building and brand building opportunities for me. And my organization so that for me alone within LinkedIn is a specific channel of influence so think channels of influence versus I'm just gonna push some content on the LinkedIn uh, other channels of influence of course are YouTube but YouTube isn't just about you know having content for people who are on YouTube remember YouTube it shows up in Google search as well and so we've got to think about this channel of influence and Google search It's really an optimization and keyword exercise. So in order to leverage that well, you have to understand what key terms people are searching under and then how to optimize your content for that. So there's a whole other game around that from being found. Online conferences, of course, is a channel of influence. So attending, creating, hosting, speaking at podcasts, getting on them and even creating your own. Various platforms are also channels of influence. So depending upon your business, you'll often have industry-specific platforms. Um, Even those of us who primarily are in the e-commerce business selling off our own site, tapping into other e-commerce platforms are vital because today's customer doesn't just shop in one spot. They walk through the door. Uh, They'll deal with an sales executive. At the same time, they might be doing research and be on consumer-based platforms, finding information, looking at reviews. And so you've got to be in those channels that influence their decision-making. And then, of course, associations, right? So business associations from a business-to-business perspective has been huge for me. So, you know, I've co-written a number of white papers with the Canadian Professional Sales Association. And you know, deployed events with them here in Western Canada in partnership with them because they got this great list of professional salespeople that can attend my events. And of course, what I bring to the table for them is I've got content and insights that value their that their people value. And so are there associations that you can partner with as a sales professional or an organization where there's a win-win that gives you access to their customer base or their member base. Uh, but also gives you ac- gives them access to great content and insights and value for their people. So these are all examples of channels of influence we've got to think about in the business-to-business business space. Number four, curate content, create content, and be consistent. So within these spaces, it isn't just about you creating blog posts uh, or LinkedIn posts or updates, but actually sh- finding and sharing great content. Because as you know, if you search a specific topic on the internet, There's like 100,000 results that that may or may not be relevant. But if you can find someone who knows a lot about the business and who does that work for you and shares really relevant content, you begin to value that person. There's a number of curators in various industries that I follow on a daily basis because they always seem to find these great nuggets, this great gold that they put out every week because they're reading and learning constantly. So if you're doing this, Share the content that's relevant to your audience, they'll value f- you for it almost as much as the content you create, or more sometimes. Number five, once you have someone interact with your content, or you have an opportunity to create an interaction or a conversation, the next step is really simple, is you need to get them into your CRM so that you can continually proactively proactively remember to interact with them. So from this perspective, Uh, You can also use, of course, a tool like LinkedIn Sales Navigator. So if you're spending most of your time on LinkedIn, you know, this means actually adding them as a lead, um, tagging them properly, and then having LinkedIn literally feed you now notifications when these people are active and you can interact with them, which, of course, is another key. And that's what I call context-bound interaction again. And if they have content and a persona on the internet, then become a fan of theirs. Not some obsessive commenter who's on, like, everything they post, but definitely reaching out and interacting at relevant times, sharing their content when it's relevant and getting on their radar by being a good community member of theirs. So number seven, of course, is, you know, beyond all of this, the final step is that context bound outreach on a consistent basis. So this is where I've got them on my radar and now I'm looking for opportunities to engage. And Sometimes their name will pop up in my CRM. And they'll have not produced any new content. I've seen no press releases that have occurred, uh, no mergers, nothing that's relevant for their business where I can reach out in context. And I've got nothing new for them. I might actually put that lead on snooze for two or three days and try again, because I find that waiting two or three days to outreach, if I can find some context is way more powerful than just sending them a generic non-value added message. And number, the final piece here, and this goes all the way back to 2009 when Steven Jagger and I wrote our first book on social media for sales professionals and entrepreneurs is Get Sociable. And for at that time we wrote it, it meant that use the Internet to get off the Internet. So these light connections on Twitter or LinkedIn where we're loosely interacting or at a surface level, get them on the phone or in person or now today for most of us being most business decision makers want remote interactions is get them into a zoom meeting, get them into a small exclusive event. Um, even make it real, like book the zoom meeting and send them an Uber eats gift certificate after. So you can have a lunch and learn with them, whatever it might be. But the key factor here is you want to take these social interactions and actually deepen them contextually with a one-to-one meeting, right? Or a small group meeting to make it real. What's interesting is once you've had a really good personal interaction and conversation with somebody, even through a Zoom meeting, all of their content means more to you on the Internet because you actually feel like you know them. And so this is one of the key pieces that we miss, I believe, is that we spend too much time, again, counting likes, tweets, followers, interactions, comments, leads. What we should really be counting is the number of people we actually, on a context-bound level, establish a true level of rapport in interaction and relationship and that's how you should be measuring your social selling ROI to invisible customers is don't worry about the amount of content you put out and who's interacting with each piece but what is precipitating out of that at the end of the time which is these context-bound interactions which build into relationships which eventually will turn into business so i know this has been a long whining rant today around social selling to -to business-to-business decision makers and i guess my final piece is it's about consistency it's about understanding truly understanding your target market the personas and then putting out that great content and having contextual interactions that drive business this is shane gibson's sales social selling and Influence Podcast. If you want to learn more about being a digital-first sales organization, I would strongly urge you to pick up Dr. Dennis Covier and my new book called Real Results in a Virtual Economy, How to Future-Proof Your Business. And you can get that on Amazon.com.